Isn't it great, like, when you had a moment in life that you, you thought was just all going to be bad news, you thought it was never going to work out, and then all of a sudden, like, it turns on a dime, and, and it turns good. You didn't expect it to be good, but then it turned good. Uh, it's like every story really has the same arc to it. It starts with someone leaving town or coming into town, if you think about it. Then there's a uh, rise of, of tension that builds to a point of conflict, then there's a fall of that tension. Then there's a redemption or a redeeming point at, the, point at the end that sort of comes back to that place of peace at the beginning or an even higher place of stasis or, or resolution, if you will. I remember um, when I was a youth minister for many years, there was a, uh, every, every year, every spring, the high school seniors would go and do a thing called Beach Week, right? Where they go to the beach and they do community service and they they drink deeply of the word of God. I'm being sarcastic, of course. <laughs> no, it's none of those things, unfortunately, but that's how it is. So they went to Beach Week, and one of these high school senior boys, he went to Beach Week, and his mother, of course, was very nervous about her son going to Merle Beach. And she said, uh, I got the phone call that no one ever wants to get, which is, excuse me, is this Ms. Mrs. Smith? Yes. Well, this is Sergeant So-and-so from the Myrtle Beach Police Department, Right? She said, immediately my heart sank. I was, uh, I was petrified. This is not what I want to hear. It's not the phone call I want to receive. But then it, it wasn't what she expected. He said, yeah, we found your son's wallet on the side of the road. Um, will you tell him to come pick it up at the police station? How quickly it was, felt like it was going to be bad news, and then it turned into a sense of relief. Another time I went on a mission trip with a bunch of kids, and one of our adult leaders um, she was a smoker, so she would get up and go have a cigarette out near the sort of busy road where we were staying. And she went out there, and, and one morning, I'm deep asleep. People come and wake me up and say, uh, Clark, Clark, so-and-so got hit by a car. Run to the hospital. I'm like, what? Talk about bad news. So I run to the hospital, and thankfully she was okay. She got kind of hit by a mirror of someone's car and hurt a bone in her arm, but she was very lucky. It was early morning hours, and they didn't see her, and she said, yeah, I f I'm, I'm okay, but they gave me a CT scan to make sure I wasn't having internal injuries. And when they scanned me, they found out that I actually I have cancer. And I didn't know it. So she said, I'm actually glad I got hit by a car. <laughs> and I said, yes, and maybe you should consider quitting smoking as well. <laughs> Might be a good idea. When the bad news it turned into something you didn't really expect to see and, and you're kind of glad that you kind of went through the bad so that it makes you appreciate the good. I read a story of a, uh, many years ago of a woman named Ruth Dello, whose son was in the Army. And he went to Kuwait during Operation Desert Storm, which started to make us feel older, but that was about 30 years ago. <laughs> and she got the message from the Pentagon that you never want to get, which is, we regret to inform you that your son stepped on a landmine and he died in combat. And she said, I, I couldn't speak. I, I didn't have the words to express the pain I felt. I felt hollowed out inside. People tried to comfort me and, and I had nothing to give. It's one of those moments. She said, for three days, I was inconsolable. And then one day the phone rang after three days. The phone rings and I pick it up and the voice on the other end says, Mom, it's me. It's your son. I'm alive. The, 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 the Pentagon made a mistake. Talk about a screw-up, U.S. government. Made a mistake, and, and I'm alive. She said, I had no words 
to express the joy and the relief. And I wanted to turn cartwheels because the son I thought was dead was actually alive. This is where our story meets us today in Matthew chapter 28, where we see all of Jesus' friends, his followers, his family, they saw him die. They watched him die on the cross. They probably helped bring his body down off the cross. Nicodemus provides a hundred pounds of myrrh and spices to anoint Jesus' body. They probably still had his blood on their hands and their clothes. They helped lay him in the tomb. The amount of grief these people felt cannot be overstated. The amount of bad news they had probably wouldn't have gotten it either if I was there in that time. It's an overwhelming thing to watch. The man that you love, and he loved them, is dead. And it's impossible to see beyond that when we get bad news of that type. And this is where the story meets us, is these disciples are persevering through their grief. And I watched that show WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. Anybody watch WandaVision? <laughs> yes, yes, be proud. It was a great show. And in WandaVision, a great quote about grief. They said, what is grief but love persevering? And I love that idea that, that that's what they're doing. They're persevering in their love through this bad news. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're in a place right now, you're persevering through some bad news. But be encouraged that when we persevere through the bad news, we're, it's, it's love that's persevering through that. If you've gone through a loss or something difficult. Because we need to hear good news today. And when we have the good news of the resurrection contrasted with the bad news of our lives, it makes the good news of Jesus being alive shine all the brighter. Because we are living in a nation that is deeply cynical. We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Even when people hear about the resurrection, they could say, that's great, but where's the catch? What's the condition for that, right? But in reality, there's no condition. There's no catch to this good news. That's why it's such good news. We gave it a name, the gospel, because it's time to receive truly good news in light of maybe some of our bad news. And the good news is this. Jesus is alive. He's alive. It's the cornerstone of the Christian faith. If Jesus is alive, Christianity is not just a religion. It's the truth. It's the truth of how you interpret the natural world and the supernatural world. It is the answer. Everything hinges on resurrection. And if it happened, and it did, then nothing is impossible for God. Everything that Jesus said he was going to accomplish, he accomplished. But again, we get this flashback to the empty tomb. The disciples didn't see this yet. All they have is their bad news. Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Let me pause there. When, if Matthew, the writer of this, wanted to make it sound good, he wouldn't have put two women as discovering the empty tomb. He would have changed it to make it James or John or whoever discovered it. But he, wanted, he told it like, like it happened. We know that it was two women that discovered the empty tomb. Ladies, you brought the gospel to the world. So be encouraged, but isn't that awesome? God sends an angel to tell these two women that the tomb is empty. God wants them to see it with their own eyes. The tomb's already empty. Jesus didn't didn't blow the stone back Sunday morning. He doesn't even roll it back. He's already gone. 
He was resurrected in the middle of the night before this Sunday morning. So they went to go see the tomb in their grief, their love that's persevering. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. Angels are very large creatures. They're very powerful creatures. They look like they're humanoid. And I love that it sits on the stone. <laughs> like there were his feet dangling with this. It sits on the stone. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing is white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. Also, you see that a lot in the Bible. People get freaked out when angels come around. But the angel ignores that, says to the women... Don't be afraid. I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. God loves, he wants our intellectual inquiry to be satisfied. He gives, he gives real evidence to them and says, look and see it with your own eyes. It's empty. Then go and tell his disciples. He's been raised from the dead. Indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. In these 40 days after the resurrection, before the ascension, Jesus, in bodily resurrected, he's not a ghost, he's bodily resurrected, he's able to come in and out of our dimension, walk through walls, appear and disappear at will before he is ascended into heaven. So he says, go to Galilee, you're going to see him there. This is my message for you. The angel was given that message. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So here we have a, a, a clash of expectation with reality, a, a clash of, of expecting bad news. Jesus is dead. And then it turns on that he, in fact, was alive. And without this contrast, there's really no joy. Without that contrast, like for example, if you never received a doctor's diagnosis for an illness, how could you celebrate when you maybe eventually got healed? Or if you never knew how much money you owed, how would you know to celebrate when the debt got paid off? I remember when uh, my wife was going through graduate school and someone said, hey, if you want to pay off a semester of graduate school, put it on a Discover card and just pay it off in a year and you won't pay any interest. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. But they said, if you don't pay it off in a year, they're going to really screw you. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Well, we came up on a year and I was close to paying it off, but I didn't quite make it. So I called them and said, well, can you give us a little bit of help? Can you give me a little more time? Because that's what happens when we're to help us, to show us grace, to help us make it to where we want to go. And they said, yes, of course, we'll give you a little more time. Thank you, Discover Card. I'm not getting endorsed by them, by the way, but well, I appreciated that. Because when you have, unless you have grace, we're powerless to really change anything. And so there's a story of a woman in Luke chapter 7 that touches on this idea of being so overwhelmed that her life was just all bad news. Her life was tragedy. Then she meets Jesus, and her life is transformed. He brings her good news. He changes her life. She is so overwhelmed with joy about what he has done, because the joy she feels at what he has done for her is simply too much for her to process. And this is the only way she can say thank you. The debt that she knew she owed has been forgiven. 
And it's just such a scene that Jesus is in with this small, probably a small house, just a few people gathered around a table. She's making such a scene. Other people look at Jesus and say, what's up with this lady, Jesus? Why is she doing this? And Jesus answers, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii or coins and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. He turned toward the woman. He said to Simon while he's looking at her, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Hence, she has shown great love, but the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. Only Jesus can. And she's so aware of her debt. She's so aware of her bad news that she has embraced her whole life that the realization that everything can change, her whole life can be transformed. This is her response. Her rightful response is worshiping Jesus. So it's good news to know how much debt you actually owe. It's good news when we embrace the bad news, because when we embrace the bad news, the good news is all the more joyful. But there is a pride of this age. There is a pride really of the human heart, but it it runs throughout history, but it's very much right now in our country. And the pride of the human age is this. Outside people that don't know Jesus Christ will say, I don't need God's help for forgiving sin, and I can conquer death on my own. This is the pride of this age. People say, I don't really need God. I have clergy friends that have told me, for every person that made a deathbed confession to God before they died, there's just as many that go, I'm not interested in that before I die. Talk about prideful. That you don't need God's help to conquer death. I don't need God to forgive my sin. Here's some good news. God loves you extravagantly. God will forgive you unconditionally, just like he did that woman in Luke 7. He'll forgive your debt completely. But you must embrace two things. You cannot forgive your own sin. And two, you cannot conquer death. Only he can do that. Only he's capable of doing those things. So we have to admit to God that we're sinners, that we have a debt to God we cannot repay on our own. And embracing that bad news is actually good news because then it shows what, how we are then redeemed. See, Easter is not the end of something. It's the beginning it's a door opening to a new life. Churches on Easter, we're really good at celebrating the resurrection, and we should be. We're really good at being glad that Jesus is alive and making that clear. And yes, we join in with that. But sometimes churches are not very good at then explaining how do you know that resurrection power in your own life, right? A so what? So what? That Jesus is risen from the dead. What does that mean for me personally? How can you know that for yourself, right? This is where the rubber meets the road on Easter. This is what we're really talking about. This is decisions that people have to make. And it's really as simple as saying a prayer to God, receiving him as Lord. God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my debt. I give you my heart and my life. Come in and make me new. Make me a new creation in Christ. And it's just as simple as that. In an instant, our, our eternal destiny can be redirected by the grace and the love of God that he has for you. 
It's just that simple. But you could receive him today and do that and do exactly what I just said. And you will, you will feel absolutely nothing. You might feel something, but you also probably will feel nothing emotionally or psychologically. But here's what will happen. Over the weeks to come, months to come, you'll feel your motivations start to change. You'll feel yourself drawn more to holy things. You'll feel yourself drawn more of a heart for your neighbor and the outcast. You'll feel yourself more drawn to worship and, and Bible study. And the, essentially, you'll be drawn more to the things of God. Now, what's happening there? What's happening when that's happening? It's Christ is in control. He's on the throne of your life. And when he's in control, the spirit of God inside of you, he's leading you. He's making you new. In short, you're being resurrected. You're being resurrected and being made a new creation. And your motivations, your appetites are being transformed into more of his image within you. So this is where the rubber meets the road on Easter. When our bad news becomes good news. That the same spirit of God that rose Christ from the dead can live within you. This is, that is good news. That is the best news. Think about that. The same spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead can live within us so that when our hearts stop beating and our breath starts, stops breathing, you will not die, but that you will be raised as he was raised. The apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter eight. He's chained to a wall in a disgusting Roman prison, and he would write maybe the greatest work of literature ever written by human hands, the Epistle of Romans, incredible, inspirational letter. And he says this in these astounding words. Anyone, but if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life is always creating new life. And if the spirit is life, because he's holy, because he's righteous, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit of God, if he dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So the question is, what bad news do you have today? Greater is he that's in you that's in the world. What debt do you have, monetary or otherwise, that you know you can't repay? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. As far as the east is from the west, I've separated you from your sin, from your past, from your mistakes that we've made. Forgiveness doesn't change your past, but forgiveness of God does change your future. Maybe you have a fear that's paralyzing you. He says, my perfect love will drive out fear. Now, I don't mean to make light of the things that we're struggling with at all, but we do need perspective on Easter, especially perspective on the eternal what Jesus has accomplished for us that he has taken the bad news of our lives and he can turn it into good news by what he has done I went to Disney World a few weeks ago not bragging but it was pretty fun even with masks on it was pretty good and I rode a ride called the Avatar ride that ride was pretty awesome and you ride a dragon I think and you're flying around it's really fun now, I remember that the movie Avatar became uh, the most popular movie at, ever released. It made like or $3 billion or something. I don't know. Now, before Avatar, the most popular movie was, who remembers? Titanic. 
Now, I don't mean to spoil Titanic, but I really do think there was space on the, boat, on, the, on the door at the end for Jack. I really still will cling to that, Jack. You could have survived, but whatever, Jack. Whatever. Now, those two movies made a lot of money, but then here comes Avengers. Makes a ton of money. Now, Avatar's number one again because they re-released it in China, where over a billion people live. But the most seen movie in history is not any of those movies. Do you know that? It's a movie released in 1979. It's been translated in over 1,800 languages, and it's been seen by more than 8 billion people. It's called The Jesus Film, and it came out in 1979, put out by Campus Crusade for Christ. It's been shown in screenings all around the world in these remote areas. They'll bring in generators, and they'll show the movie to people, it's translated into their language. They, one time they showed this movie in a place called Milanaka, Madagascar, in southwestern Madagascar. There's about 109,000 people that live in that area. They're, they are the Masakoro people. And they brought in generators, they showed this movie to about 1,000 people at a time, these screenings. The first movie these people had ever seen, but maybe the last. And they said there's no one talks, the, even the babies are quiet. And they're just locked in, transfixed. You can see this picture here. They're locked in on the movie. It's in their language. And it's just the Gospel of Luke put to a film. So when Jesus, who they call Jesosi in their language, when Jesosi tells Simon Peter, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, and they pull up a miraculous catch of fish, the people would clap with great excitement at this miracle. Because even though they're farmers, they appreciate what fishermen can do in their area. Another scene, Jesus takes the, the eyes of a blind man and heals him of his sight. And the Masakura people begin to, to cheer and stand up and celebrate that. They'd never heard of Jesus before. But then the film builds to the point of conflict. The tension rises to the crucifixion. And the people began to look in dis disbelief. Some of them stand up and yell at the screen and say, why would you kill this good man? Some of them get angry. They begin to cry. The Romans stretch him out across a cross and nail spikes to his wrists and his feet and lift him up in the air. And then the most amazing thing happened. All the thousand people stand up and begin to leave. And the organizers of the film go, no, 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 don't leave. Where are you going? You can't leave. And the people said, no, what's there to see? He's dead. The movie's over, right? We know people dying. We know that. We're used to bad news. He's dead. They said, no, 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 it's not over yet. Sit down. And they showed them the rest of the film. He take him off the cross. They put him in the tomb. He's resurrected from the dead. The people stood up and began to cheer. Then an invitation is given across the thousand people. Who would like to give your life to this Jesosi? Who wants to receive him as your Lord? Every hand goes up. Why wouldn't you? He has risen from the dead. Who else can do that? Their bad news became the best news possible that turned into great joy. But what it took, too, was someone that stood up and goes, whoa, 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 the movie's not over, y'all. You got to see the best part. You got to see the redemption part of the end, the good news. 
Now, all around the country today, people like me are standing up and they're talking about Easter, we're talking about resurrecting from the dead. And in America, we have the whole story of Jososi. We know how the story ends. And I pray that some of us don't just walk away and go, yeah, 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 that's great. Jesus has risen from the dead, okay. What's for lunch? It's much more than that. It's our, the good news of God, the gospel of God, meeting with our bad news, with our hardships, with our pain. That he, is, he who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He did it for you, and he did it for me. This is the best news possible, my friends. He conquered all of it for us and purchased it with his body and with his blood.